Well, to start, we're uh, choosing a story that actually has some visuals to go along with it. Uh, so I'm going to link to that in the post of the story. Uh, there's a full report that I'm going to reference a few times in this, and the graphs are what uh, was most interesting. I'll break down the takeaways from it, um, but if you want to see the graphs and the full report for yourself, uh, make sure to actually click on the hyperlinks in the text. But what we're talking about today is the International Energy Agency released a new report this week highlighting the effect of COVID-19 on energy consumption, and some of the numbers were definitely... Uh, staggering some some big dips in energy demand during this time. And um, a lot of interested parties are unsure how that's going to affect the future of the industry. So for context, this is the biggest slump in absolute energy demand in recorded history. Wow. Which is nuts. Um, and hmm. it, probably in human history... Well, okay, so in recorded human history, but it's also probably just the biggest slump ever uh, based on how much our energy consumption has grown and how much the world population grows year over year, right? So the amount that we are decreasing, even if maybe the percentage isn't the highest that the dip has ever been in net absolute energy demand, it's probably the biggest sizable dip because of how much energy we use. Um, the International Energy Agency report also shows a projected 6% shrink um, in uh, 2020 specifically. Um, and demand for all fossil fuels, I believe, is going to be down as well in 2020. Meaning, consequently, carbon emissions are projected to drop considerably, potentially reaching an 8% drop, which would actually take us back to emission levels a decade ago. Um, and fun fact, this mirrors the drop in emissions needed every year in the 2020s to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, which is the workable benchmark that climate scientists vouch for. So <laughs> amid all this craziness, we're actually seeing a, a drop in demand in a way that is... Um, is meeting some of our, uh, you know, uh, I guess most dire climate change metrics. Hmm. Um, but obviously, this is not a sustainable way to do this. The way this mm -hmm. is being accomplished is by putting everyone in their homes indefinitely while we try to brace a pandemic. So, you know, not actually a focused way to reach those goals in the long term. Some other quick highlights, um, definitely look at the graphs because they tell a deeper story. But uh, basically, we're also seeing different fuel sources being affected differently. So coal and oil are projected to net 8 to 9% less demand compared to 2019, whereas renewable energy, for example, is actually expected to increase by maybe around 1% compared to 2019, though uh, even nuclear looks to have about a 1.5% to 2% drop in demand. So everything except renewables is seeing a dip in demand this year. With some of it being huge, um, potentially uh, you know unsustainable, especially for oil, um, but renewables, you know, kind of kind of interesting to see that renewable energy might actually see a boost in demand. Um, another highlight, though the dip is massive, like I said, the swings have been more massive in the past. So uh, during the Great Depression and during uh, World War II, we actually saw percentage-wise a bigger dip in. in uh, absolute energy demand. Um, but if you look at how much energy we consumed back then, dipping that far down is actually less energy than 
we're like losing in demand now. So mm-hmm. comparatively, you know, it's not the same. It's more of a percentage increase, and often percentage um, comparisons can be a little misleading. Um, so yeah, what are y'all's thoughts on that initially, and then we'll get into some of the bigger takeaways. Yeah, I think obviously changing habits uh, during this time, uh, you know, affect this pretty big time. And I'm, I'm curious just with summer on the horizon, as you know, today we're recording this May 1st, everybody that lives in Texas knows that uh, it won't be nice here for too much longer, right? The 100 <laughs> degree days oh, yeah. start off. And so I'm curious that if if a lot of people continue to work from home, what it looks like when it comes to energy consumption, when uh, as it relates to running the air conditioning and stuff like that for an entire day, as opposed to like when we leave during the day, my wife and I, we would you know bump it up uh, so that bump the thermostat up so that the AC doesn't kick on and run all day long, right? Um, but now, if we're working from home for any part of the summer, right? Our energy consumption is probably going to go up in that regard because right. we're going to want it to be more comfortable while we're working at home. So our AC is probably going to run more. So I'll be, I understand how we've gotten to this point given um, given the the changing habits, but as the weather changes and as, and, and as it gets hotter, especially across the South, I'll be interested to see how energy consumption shifts um, and maybe puts more strain on the grid as a result of that, even if we're driving less and maybe how those things offset. Does that make sense? Totally. And couple that with the fact that, you know, there were some projections that potentially the hot summer months would um, kill the virus or slow the spread. But if we are starting to reopen uh, prematurely, which um, a lot of, um, you know, leading doctors in the space are saying that you know even if we do reopen we need to maintain social distancing at you know a a very focused and elevated level people need to be very aware of not being near each other at all like yes retail might be open but you know avoid going to retail stores avoid going to the movie theaters all that stuff um if that continues then by the time the hottest summer months hit we're deeper into july or august might we see a second flare? Might we then be locked up again? Whereas if we power through maybe right now and, and we don't end up uh, reopening early, uh, would we be able to then fare those hotter summer months uh, better, basically, and not have to deal with the consumer costs of uh, increased um, uh, like personal energy consumption at home because even though net energy demand is going down because you know we're not driving and we're not going to stores so they probably are you know shut down and and spending less on their uh, building operation costs personally individual people that are at home I think you're right are probably going to see a boost in their energy bill uh, their water bill um, you know little things that start to you know uh, death by a thousand cuts kind of a thing right so um, I wonder if that is avoidable if we stay indoors longer and just try to uh, wait it out so that when we do hit those hot summer months, maybe by then we will have stopped the spread, you know, as entirely as possible. Um, just, you know, my brain spinning on that. Taylor, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's interesting um, that there is such a disconnect between, you know, some of the, the ways that we've kind of utilized some of our 
energy and maybe even how we're going to be able to balance that, I think, going forward. Because our, our big things are is we're seeing some really great uh, impacts here and we're seeing some good trajectory. But I, I think sustainability is, is kind of key. And, uh, you know, looking at how we're going to be able to um, make some of that happen while, you know, we're returning to normalcy, I think uh, will ideally be a priority for us. Um, I want to list out some other takeaways that link this um, a little deeper to the future of the energy industry as a business sector. Um, you know, I, I think we already mentioned some of the uh, broader takeaways. So, you know, the fact that I think there's still a lot of work to be done to meet emission targets and the fact that um, it takes locking everyone up in their homes uh, and just reducing general commute, reducing uh, business, um, building operating costs and energy spend and usage there. It's just unsustainable. Uh, so there needs to be probably more focused approach and collaboration with um, you know the companies that produce the most emissions to curb those emissions if we want to meet that 1.5 degrees Celsius benchmark. Um, you know, uh, will people be leaner on their energy consumption in some ways coming out of this. Uh, Tyler, I think to your earlier point, I think there might be some habit changes. Um, I think, you know, maybe folks might just try to get used to living in their home being a little hotter. So, you know, they're not running 70 degree AC all day. Right. I'm not saying anyone should or shouldn't, but <laughs> you know, if you're tight on budget and, you know, uh, living in a slightly hotter home is what's going to potentially, um, you know, help you pay rent that month because there just haven't been a lot of supporting uh, infrastructures to help just generally working people. Um, you know, I could see that being a personal decision someone would make. So I wonder what is the long term effect of that? Will people just, you know, uh, generally cut back on their personal energy usage? And then, uh, like I said, more economically, the collapse of the oil industry last week uh, during COVID probably actually means we're not going to be seeing any sort of broad structural transition um, to meet those emission targets we talked about because um, the oil companies are are so integral to the economy right now that um, and you know the, the administration is not antagonizing um, uh, oil companies right now. Um, Therefore, I think the industry is actually set up to be fine, honestly, as much as this was like, oh, my gosh, so scary, negative prices for oil. I really don't think that this is now the impetus for uh, there being a, a, a slow closing of the faucet on our uh, emissions, uh, mostly because there is just general focus to bail them out in some capacity. Uh, President Trump tweeted that he gave direction to energy and treasury secretaries to make funds available to help oil and gas companies because, quote, these are very important companies and jobs will be secured long into the future, end quote. Uh, and actually, the American Petroleum Institute, the largest oil and gas lobbying group in the U.S., is not seeking a bailout like the airlines were. They actually would prefer to push for emergency lending that they would, I guess, pay back I'm not sure if with interest or not, um, 
I guess that would be the point to pay back with interest. But uh, my personal speculation is that they don't want the bailout to be contingent on the government taking any ownership stake in the companies, which has been talked about and is something that the airlines and definitely oil companies are weary of. Uh, you know, they don't want the government to have an ownership stake in their company. Um, and, you know, they will uh, cooperate in ways to avoid that kind of giant structural shift in how their company operates. So mm. I, I, I think because that relationship is is being developed in that way and that that isn't going to be challenged anytime soon, I, I think the oil industry, even though we saw a huge drop in demand, the large players or the industry as a whole is probably going to be fine. But I think many shale oil companies, smaller ones, are not going to be able to turn a profit with the numbers uh, that the uh, you know that oil prices hit last week. So I think that means that, like many other industries, we're going to see layoffs and shutters if this doesn't change soon. But in the long term, um, there isn't really a strategy, even with this pandemic, to address those climate emission benchmarks. So I think there's a lot to take away from this. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to sort through as it as it relates to energy during this time, and my my head always goes to you know what the future holds and what changes come about because of all of this. And I I'm not knowledgeable enough in the oil industry to speak authoritatively on any any potential right. changes <laughs> and, and what the ramifications there might be. But I am I do find myself thinking quite a bit about when people are able to get back to work and maybe when you know when the economy rebounds whenever that may be and people do have income what changes they make to lifestyle or or uh, or decisions regarding energy will they make like will we see an explosion of of solar energy and other renewables and, and things like things like that I guess I'm I'm very curious and interested in those types of things and and how that affects the market moving forward even once this is done. Yeah. 100%. And I hope that this becomes a conversation that we continue to have even beyond the time that we have to have it. I think that a lot of times, you know, when we talk about energy consumption, it's it's when we've reached a point where we have to talk about it. You know, it's when it's once we've reached a point where, you know, we have to respond or we have to do something. And I think now, you know, this is the first time we've ever really put ourselves in a position to be proactive about some of the choices we're making with energy, um, some of the, the direction that we're actually going to be able to head in if we wanted to, you know, lower emissions and, um, you know, create a more sustainable environment. But I also think that, you know, once we're back into the swing of things and, and, and you know, this isn't uh, on everybody's mind, you know, as heavily. Um, I, I hope that this conversation doesn't die down and I hope that, you know, we're able to kind of take what we've learned here and to actually carry it with us into the future rather than, you know, forgetting about it and having to bring this back up again once, you know, we've reached a, a um, you know, potential breaking point here with our energy consumption. This was a snippet from Business Casual with Daniel Litwin and Tyler Kern, your B2B morning radio show. Tune in Wednesdays and Fridays at 9 a.m. Central on the Simple Radio app or marketscale.com slash industries. 